This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hi there. Listen, I know you're looking for some answers to your weight loss struggles. Why don't you join us on the next Hangout meeting to discuss this more? You can share your struggles, learn from others who are in the same boat, and so much more. So don't be shy and head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash hangout. I will promise you one thing right now. This is going to be a safe space where you can talk freely and it is absolutely 100% free. You do not need to pay anything for this and I wanted to create this safe space to discuss everything obesity. Hi friend, welcome to this episode. I have been requesting you to leave me a review for my podcast. You see, review is feedback for me to understand how I am doing and how I can improve. Not only that, positive reviews help spread the message and the value of this podcast to others searching for a good podcast to subscribe to. It helps me reach many more people. So while this may seem like a small thing to you, but my friend, this actually is very important. I have set a goal for myself for this year and I need your help to reach that goal. I'm aiming for at least a thousand reviews on Apple Podcasts in 2021. Now, I know this seems like a very, very tall order, but every review helps. All you have to do is just head on over to Apple Podcasts on your iPhone, or if you don't have an iPhone, you can go onto your computer or your Android device and get to Apple Podcasts and just click write a review, and that's it. Please help me serve you better and reach many others. Please do write me a review. Now, you're in for a treat today. I have two amazing guests with me. Dr. Nisha Patel is a practicing both certified internal medicine physician and obesity medicine specialist. She actually currently got both certified in obesity medicine. She is currently enrolled in a culinary medicine program through Health Meets Food. She hopes to empower her patients and others with the knowledge and tools to make practical, sustainable, lifelong, healthful eating habits. Dr. Patel, who also goes by the name Dr. Plantel, (laughs) is also passionate about addressing food insecurity in the U.S., and helping others understand how it relates to the development of chronic diseases. Now, my other guest, Dr. Disha Narang, is a board-certified endocrinologist, and she also recently got board-certified in obesity medicine. She also is enrolled in the culinary medicine program, the same one as Dr. Patel. She completed her undergraduate in medical education at Vanderbilt University prior to completing her internal medicine residency and endocrinology fellowship at the University of Chicago. She has a special interest in the management of diabetes and obesity and culinary medicine. She strives to emphasize the adage, food is medicine, throughout her medical practice. Welcome, ladies. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much. We're so excited. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So let's talk about whole food plant-based diet. What do we understand by whole food plant-based diet? I know, you know, vegan is one term that's just like thrown out. And then there's this whole concept of whole food plant-based. So can you just differentiate between the two? Because I think it's very important for people to understand this. Yeah, so I think it's important to make sure that we say that veganism does not equal whole food plant-based diet, right? And so veganism 
typically is a lifestyle. And for ethical reasons, people decide to pursue veganism. And now it's expanded to environmental and health concerns. Now, Nisha, if you want to talk about the difference between that and plant-based. Yeah. So whole food plant-based diet incorporates a number of healthful whole foods that are minimally processed. And that's a little bit different than just the umbrella term plant-based because unfortunately plant-based by itself doesn't mean that it's healthful. You can be plant-based and be eating a number of different foods that are considered ultra-processed and unhealthful. I completely agree that, you know, this distinction has to be made that there's a way to be plant-based that's healthful, and you could also be plant-based that's unhealthful. And to be honest with you, that's actually what I was for the majority of my life until I made some changes for myself in the last several years. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so when we say that, we really emphasize sort of including low fat, high fiber, vegetable based diet that's focused on health. And again, like really, really minimizing the amount of processed, refined foods. That's whole food, plant-based. Yeah, I agree with you. And yeah, I just want to point out to listeners that it's very important to understand that even French fries are vegetarian or vegan, but they're not necessarily a part of a whole food, plant-based diet. So it's very, very important to distinguish between veganism and whole food, plant-based diet, wherein you're incorporating whole food as the name suggests in itself, but it's primarily plant-based. Yeah, right. And plant-based does not necessarily mean it's completely vegetarian or completely only plants, but it means predominantly plants, right? Correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. right. And so, you know, that's very interesting. There's always a divide between these different schools of thoughts, right? One talks about the ketogenic diet, and then there's this whole food plant-based diet. Then there's this paleo diet. And we have data for everything. For example, the A to Z trial that was done that predominantly showed that the ketogenic diet is very helpful as far as weight loss goes and as far as obesity goes. So where do you stand with regards to, you know, the data for whole food plant-based diet in weight loss? Do you think whole food plant-based is the only option or do you think it's one of the tools that people can try and use for their weight loss? You know, I think the way that we need to look at these diets is that they're resources to becoming healthier, right? So the word diet automatically just screams restriction to me, right? And so if we are, you know, telling folks, well, you can't eat this and you can't eat that, I think showing folks that, you know, in a whole food plant-based diet, however, there is such a spectrum, right? You can make 10% of your diet that you can make 50%, you can make 90%, 100%. However, you can incorporate more plants, it is a healthier way to go. I 100% agree with that sentiment, because I think it's really hard when people feel like they need to be in a box, like I need to be whole food plant based, or I need to be on the keto diet. I think what Disha said is completely right, where as many plant, you know, predominant foods as that you can incorporate, that's what's most healthful. So the way I see the whole food plant-based diet is one of the tools, for instance, for weight loss and, you know, definitely incorporates a lot of different healthful foods. And I can see, we can see why it can help with weight loss, especially when you're replacing that with the standard, you know, replacing the standard American diet with this whole food plant-based. The sad sad diet. diet, (laughs) The whole food (laughs) plant-based. Yeah. And I think there was a recent study that did show that whole food plant-based diet does work wonders even for weight loss, uh, if people want to try that. Absolutely. But do you think it's better with regards to, you know, weight loss as compared to other lifestyle changes? What is your opinion on that? 
Absolutely. And I wonder if one of the studies that you're referring to is the, is the Cardia study. It was published in Diabetes Care in 2020. And so they basically looked at, you know, over 20 years, increasing the amount of plant-centeredness starting in young adulthood was associated with 48% lower risk of type 2 diabetes by middle adulthood. And so, I mean, the evidence is clear, right? And so, Basically, the earlier we introduce a diet higher in vegetables, the lower risk we have of developing type 2 diabetes and obesity later in adulthood. Yeah, I know that's very true. I think it wasn't the cardiac study that I was actually referring to. I think it was another study that was pretty much talking about uh, weight loss. And it showed that there was a very significant weight loss with incorporating whole food plant-based diet for weight loss per se, not necessarily just diabetes. Mm -hmm. I, I just forget the name of the study. And I think it was done in Australia, but I could be wrong. But it was an interesting study that I looked at. But, you know, there's this uh, very complex, now you, both of you are certified in obesity medicine, just like me and we understand that you know insulin plays such a big role in the development of obesity and the sustenance but whole food plant-based in itself is carb rich right it's a very very high carb diet so how do you think it modulates the insulin how do you think the whole food plant-based diet plays into all of this and maintaining lower levels of insulin i mean it's you know this goes back to what disha and i always say is that not all carbs are created equal and we want people to understand that there are like we love carbs We just focus on incorporating more healthful carbs into our day-to-day eating. And so what I'm talking about is whole grains that have fiber. They have complex carbohydrates. Whole foods have phytochemicals. All of these factors play into the role of our health and help modulate insulin secretion. And I mean, Disha talks about diabetes, like with her patients every day. And so I think it's less about saying, oh, carbs are bad. Like I really hate that word and hate that phrase and more about saying let's incorporate healthful forms of carbs. Like for instance, legumes. I don't think I can think of one legume that has a high glycemic index. Can you, Disha, like any lentils or yeah, 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 they're all low glycemic index. They all have fiber. They all have complex carbohydrates. Our body is going to quote unquote react to those differently than eating Oreos. No offense to Oreos, but of yeah. course, yeah. <laughs> Right. And so I think, you know, the more higher fiber carbs that we add into our system, the better it is for our insulin sensitivity that aids in weight loss, because the more insulin your body requires, the more weight you gain. And so it's all very much tied together. And so I agree. I mean, I think there's... um, a bit of a toxic relationship with carbs, which I understand the refined carbs and the processed carbs, sure, they are toxic to our health and, you know, our wellness and the development of chronic disease, but they don't have to be bad, right? And so I think the more whole grains, higher fiber carbs we add in, that doesn't have to be necessarily a dangerous or bad thing. Right. And, uh, you know, I have a question for you, Disha. Now, we talk about insulin with regards to obesity and you know how a higher insulin level kind of causes this obesity, but we really see a difference in the management of diabetes. Do you see a difference? Because there, people are actually taking an exogenous insulin a lot of times, right? And it's a disease of either insulin resistance or insulin deficiency. Do you see a difference in your patients specifically when you're treating diabetes and if, you, if they change their lifestyle to a whole food plant-based diet? Absolutely. And you know, what's really helped is the use of continuous glucose monitors. So automatically you can see like one week to the next, as soon as someone changes the way that they're eating or just, just literally increasing the vegetables in their dinner or their lunch or any combination, it's amazing to see a 
a sudden improvement in blood sugars because all of a sudden your body is not necessarily having to increase the insulin secretion, not necessarily having to, you know, deal with these incredible blood sugar spikes and patients feel better, right? Like it's, it's incredible. And so when your brain is swimming around in high blood sugars, you feel tired, you feel lethargic, um, you can't necessarily think properly. And then all of a sudden in normal blood sugars, people feel more awake. They feel more energetic. They can exercise. It's like a downstream effect of just making just some minor changes immediately. Yeah. And, you know, this goes against the whole carb counting concept, right? Because whole food plant-based is a high carb diet. Mm -hmm. And despite being high carb, there is data to support that it does lower the insulin levels even for diabetes or for obesity. And so it really goes against the whole concept of the carb counting that we've been doing traditionally and traditionally asking people to restrict their carbs and eat. So basically saying that all carbs are equal, you just have to restrict the amount of carbs. So that's very interesting to understand all of that. Right. And it really comes down to glycemic index as well, right? The glycemic index of white pasta is much, much higher than the glycemic index of berries or carrots or, you know, something like that, right? And so your blood sugar will not spike with eating a carrot salad versus how it would spike after eating, you know, a plate of spaghetti. You know, Disha, it's interesting that you talk about glycemic load and glycemic index. I actually have an episode on that. So listeners, if you want to listen to the episode on glycemic load and glycemic index, where I talk about this in detail, you can head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash EP39, because this was episode number 39, where we talked about glycemic load and glycemic index. And, you know, the other thing that when we talk about whole food plant-based diet is that it's a whole food plant-based. So in essence, if you look at oils and if you look at the fats that we use, they're essentially refined products of a certain food, right? So just like sugar is a refined product of the carbs, similarly, oils are a refined product of a food. But unfortunately, the data on fats is so conflicting. What's your take on this? Yeah, you know, the same thing with carbs, like there's healthful sorts of fats, and there's fats that are less healthful. And I will say yes, most cooking oils, for instance, are refined, but not a big proponent. I promise I'm not like sponsored by big extra virgin olive oil. But I actually think extra virgin olive oil um, in cooking is a, a healthful source of fat. It helps people with the mouthfeel of their food, because that's a very pleasurable, enjoyable aspect of food. And if you look at literature, of course, it's one of the main sources of fat in the Mediterranean diet. And I'm specifically talking about extra virgin olive oil. I'm not talking about olive oil in and of itself, because if it just says olive oil on the bottle, it's, um, it is actually refined and it's devout of the phytochemicals or the phytonutrients that are, that are in extra virgin olive oil. So whenever I, a lot of patients are like, oh, I should be on a low fat diet, right? I have X, Y, and Z disease. Well, I, I emphasize often that, look, you know, it's not like that simple. Like there's actually healthful sources of fats. There's nuts, there's avocados, there's certain cooking oils that are considered healthful. As I said, it's got to be taken into the context of the whole dietary pattern. Like by no means do I mean like go eat a bunch of avocados every day or go chug <laughs> extra virgin olive oil. It's in the context of a whole whole food plant-based dietary pattern or just a healthful eating pattern. I think it can be beneficial. I think there is a place for it. And there is data yeah. to support that improves cholesterol, yeah. aids in heart health, you know, and so there are benefits to taking in kind of good quality fats yeah. like that. So, and I think we were talking about this earlier as well. The issue here is actually cutting back on the added sugars, right? The refined sugars, 
added sugars. And that's what really, you know, spikes blood sugars and adds weight over time. Not so, added not so with the fat. Sure. <laughs> that is where the limitations need to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is so true. Yeah. And of course, not all fats are created equal. And it's important to understand even when using fats, especially when you're cooking, if you're using fats to cook, it's important to use something that has a high smoke point. Because if you use something that has a low smoke point, it does change the molecular structure of the fats itself when you're cooking with that. And that necessarily may not produce the healthy products. And it may be actually harmful. Yeah. Is this whole food plant-based diet for everyone? Perspective is everything, right? So in the Midwest, not to generalize, a lot of our patients who are from rural areas, that's not necessarily something that they have grown up with, right? So I think we really have to look at someone's background, their culture, how can this fit into your overall life, right? And so perspective is everything. And so we have some folks that get McDonald's takeout or, you know, some fast food drive through every single day of the week. Some folks will eat meat and potatoes and rice. And that's, you know, been their meal of dinner every day for their whole lives. And others, you know, have different, you know, various eating patterns. And so it's all perspective. So if the person who eats out every day, can they eat out once a week? Do you think you can add in a couple vegetables to that meal here and there? So going from zero to 100 and going from eating a primarily meat-based diet or non-vegetarian diet to fully whole food plant-based, People would run out of my office being like, you're crazy. What are you <laughs> yeah. even talking about? So, you know, baby steps, but even a little bit goes a long way. That doesn't way. mean, yeah, like Disha's saying, like you don't encourage people to incorporate helpful foods or incorporate more plants because that's the issue that we have, right? Like most Americans, for instance, aren't meeting even like the minimum requirements of fruits and vegetables and so intake in a day. And so I agree, like going zero to 100 doesn't really work for people. It doesn't work for me. So why would I expect that to work for anyone else? And I got to say from like a healthcare standpoint or in a clinical setting, I have so many patients that come in feeling really shamed for their yes. dietary choices, right? And so if I sit there and become super pedantic and tell them, well, you've got to now, you know, eat only plants, no more this or that, they resent you. And I don't think it's necessarily wise to sit there and preach to somebody like this is what you should do you, you can present the data and if they can incorporate like i said earlier you know 10% more or 20% or however it works into their lifestyle any little bit will help i agree like a healthy relationship with food is so key because the last thing that we want our patients or anyone for that matter is to feel guilt it could be very 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 damaging for their morale and their long term success yeah People come in feeling really bad about themselves because another doctor may have made them feel, you know, shamed about their weight or the way they ate or something like that. And so it's really, really important to kind of take into account, like, what's their story? How easy is it for them to incorporate this day to day? Do they have the resources? Are they on Meals on Wheels? Do they have the SNAP or, you know, that sort of thing? It, it makes it so much it's not as easy as, okay, we'll go to the farmer's market, pick up some vegetables. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a lot more complex. I, I agree with you. But, you know, it's a very interesting point that you raised that uh, people obviously need to kind of be led in that direction and they need to make the appropriate changes that are appropriate for them at that point in time. But what are the common questions that you encounter in your practice with regards to a whole food plant-based approach? What are the common questions that people ask and what are their, their common fears or myths that they have? 
Well, some people just don't like vegetables. So, you know, that's a common one, right? Because they're like, well, I don't like vegetables. I don't want to add them in. And so you, we have to talk about, well, this is how you can sneak them in. These are little strategies to potentially expand your vegetable palate a little bit. Um, and then the other part of it is preparation. Well, how do I put it together? What do I shop for? You know, and so this is where culinary yes. medicine becomes so valuable, yeah. right? Because we are able to then help empower patients to be able to take this into their own hands and start making changes at home. Agreed. Like, I mean, I don't personally eat raw broccoli, but I love when I make it the way that I like it. And that's the way I eat it. And that's fine. And trying to help because like whenever patients tell me like, oh, I don't like X, Y, and Z. My next question is, well, how have you eaten it? How have you prepared it? Or how was it presented to you? Because maybe you don't like it in that way that it was presented to you. But let's try to find at least one tangible piece of it, you know, piece of way or piece of advice I can give them so that they can incorporate that particular food and or try that out again. Because you just I mean, I get this example all the time. Like I grew up vegetarian, I didn't like 90% of vegetables. But now I love like so many more. So I always tell people like, if I can do it, trust me, you can too. But the other question that I also get a lot is, well, if you want me to incorporate healthful plant foods, then how am I going to get my protein? And it just like drives me up the wall. Because, because, <laughs> you know, people often equate protein with like specifically red meat and like chicken. And I often say, you know, look, I've personally, I've been vegetarian or plant based, like my entire life, as long as you're healthy and you don't, you know, the average person doesn't, as far as I can tell, have clinical protein deficiency, <laughs> um, being on like a vegetarian or plant predominant diet. And there's plenty of sources of plant protein. So that's something actually that comes up a lot. And, and I always tell people that like, look, you know, you do, you're not going to, in the absence of having other illnesses or really having like a restricted diet, like you're not, at, normally you're not at risk for that. Yeah, I think you raise a very interesting point, Nisha, that you ask the patient how you prepare it, because I don't think a lot of us really ask them this question. How do you prepare your food? Because that becomes so essential. Once you start cooking, you realize that there are so many different ways of making vegetables. It's not just steaming the vegetables. You can you can bake them, you can broil them, you can saute them, you can steam them. There are a ton of ways of making them. There are a lot of spices that you can add to these vegetables and really make them taste delicious. I think the American diet is predominantly meat-based. And so we have a lot of, we learn a lot more flexibility around how to cook meat. But as far as the vegetables go, I think there's a lack of knowledge on, you know, how to really cook these in a way that they taste delicious. And I find this very interesting because I myself am from India, right? And the predominant diet in India is a vegetarian diet. And we cook vegetables in so many different ways. And they're cooked in a way that you don't necessarily miss the meat in that particular meal. So it's very important to understand. And I'm glad that you raised this point that I think we should all start asking our patients, how do you cook your food if you're not enjoying it? Unfortunately, you know, a lot of the time I run into kind of this notion that if people are supposed to eat more vegetables or eat more just healthier, they think it's just sort of, you know, steamed Boring, veggies or yeah. boiled vegetables and, you know, some kind of, I don't I eat don't that either. way. I, you know, I think that's, that's not tasty to me. Right. And so it's really, really important to sort of have that as in your arsenal that, okay, well, I can do this, this, and this with this kind of vegetable. And, you know, it, it empowers people to really get interested and in pursuing further ways of making food tasty. I think the limitation 
And in, especially in, in the clinic-based setting is that a lot of clinicians don't have the time to get into all of that, right? And so we often need our dietitians to help and, and that sort of thing. But truly is a shame how little time so many clinicians have. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a little bit more time with my patients with the, my, the way that my clinic template is scheduled. But a lot of people in my shoes have 15 minutes per person. And you know, when are you going to get to that? You cannot talk about how you cook your vegetables no. in those 15 no, minutes. Not at all. And I think like, <laughs> as people get like used to, or they, you know, try different ways to prepare healthful foods, they build their confidence too. But I agree, like, by no means, you know, it's hard to like do this in a clinic setting, like even on the hospital side, like I definitely have more time with my patients. And so we'll strike up a conversation and we'll talk about like, oh, what are you doing at home? Who do you live with? Who cooks at home? Like, how do you get your food? What do you have available? Like, I actually do have more, a little bit more time to do that. And I feel pretty lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your opinion? But I, I know we touched on this, you know, vegan and, you know, these a lot of these foods have these claims of health foods. And um, in this day and age, when every one of us has a very fast-paced life, right, and we're looking for quick fixes, what is your opinion on these foods that are labeled vegan, organic, healthy? It drives me crazy how trendy, you know, organic, vegan, plant-based has become, you know, on some of these labels. Like, I heard a shampoo the other day being plant-based. I'm like, come on, like, you know, it's a marketing scheme at this point, right? And so it's just really, really important to run that package around and see what you're actually going to be consuming on that nutrition label. Yeah, I think it's important to understand that even if you're being vegan, there are a lot of foods that are not healthy that are vegan. For example, cookies, a lot of cookies. Oreos. <laughs> that, yeah, they are, they are vegan, but they may not necessarily be healthy. French fries are not healthy, but they're vegan. So it's important to understand. That's why this whole concept of whole food plant-based. So yeah, I, I personally don't think um, that people should go after these labels which say healthy because it's very difficult to quantify if you know they can say it's healthy but what does that really it's mean healthy in comparison to what and then you know it's like i always tell people and my patients like do not make any decisions like for about what you're going to purchase at the grocery store based on front of package claims just don't do it because you just don't know like i think i saw like riced cauliflower and it said plant-based on the front which again rice cauliflower is a health like i consider that a healthful food but i'm like of course it's a plant like we don't need that label on there but i'm just <laughs> saying that there's other foods that have these kind of buzzwords on there that people automatically just assume like yeah this is healthy i'm going to take it and then you realize oh wow it doesn't have any fiber in it it has all this added salt and it has x amount of added sugar and so yeah sugar. Oh gosh. which is plant-based by the way <laughs> sugar is plant-based yeah, and that carb content of that meal of whatever snack or whatever it might be the carb amount is crazy high most of the time and yeah. that's where you know like back in the 90s snack wells oh, yeah. right like they always advertised that it was low fat and but the, the carbs sugar. it was not a healthy food yeah, it's important to understand that even sugar is vegetarian or vegan, but it's not healthy <laughs> to consume pure sugar. So it's important to understand that. I have one very interesting question. And, you know, I this is of personal interest to me as well. What is your opinion on a plant-based keto diet? You know, I've researched this and I think it, it is a little restrictive because plants are usually very high in carbohydrates. But what is your opinion? Have you encountered anybody who's talked to you about this at all? Or have you researched this at all? I haven't really had this particular like question come up 
I agree with you that I think, you know, it's, it can, it's quite restrictive and because there are, you know, healthful sources of carbs like we talked about before. And you're going to miss out on those when you're following, you know, a keto diet in general. And then, of course, even on a plant-based keto diet, you're going to still miss out on those healthful foods. And so, you know, the issue with traditional diets as our society defines it is that they're not sustainable in the long term. At least there's not studies that show that. And it also just after a certain point, it just becomes very cumbersome for most people. I'm not saying everyone and it could feel very, you know, demoralizing. Like, let's say, if, for instance, if they stop that particular diet, they may, this, you know, an individual may think that it's a failure and like they shouldn't try, you know, eating healthfully in the future. It, it, it could just really kind of derail people. And so in general, I don't really recommend it. I have people ask me about it. I still don't recommend it, but that's just my personal way of practicing. I agree. I tend to agree because... Let's say, you know, the hardest thing I've seen with whether it's keto or plant-based keto, and, you know, I see patients obviously for weight management in my clinic, one of the hardest things with these diets is the sustainability aspect of it, right? And so patients will tell me on visit A that, oh, I'm going keto, I'm going to definitely do this and lose the weight. Three months later, I see them or however many months later yeah, I couldn't really sustain. It was really hard. And I started to miss the carbs. And and so, you know, my goal here is to get folks to be able to sustain something long term. I have, you know, I always tell them, like, I'm looking at five years and 10 years or longer for you, not a crash diet for two or three months. And so really, it's going to be, you know, what is sustainable for you the longest? What can keep you going without you missing various things or really like, regressing, you know, the other way. And the reason why that's really important is because then we start to see a lot of the yo-yo in weight, right? People go up and down and then they get really upset about it. And it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. It has to be sustainable lifestyle change. Whether it's a ketogenic diet, whether it's a whole food plant-based diet, it has to be something that you can sustain over long term because really there's data for everything. There's data for any healthy diet. Even a ketogenic diet can be a healthy diet, but it just has to be a sustainable change that you know that you will be able to make and sustain for years to come. It's not going to be a short-term change that you make, just lose a few pounds and then, then you're done because the way it's going to create back on it's going to creep back on no absolutely this has been a great discussion today i hope all of you found it very useful thank you so much nisha and disha for uh, joining me and discussing all about whole food plant-based and i want to remind you all that we have started a decoding obesity hangout this is a free monthly meetup where you get to discuss challenges in your weight loss journey find accountability partners and network with others in different stages of their journey so i want to extend a personal invitation to all of you to join me in my next decoding obesity hangout we are going to limit the number of guests for each meetup so that it can be a very effective meeting but you're more than welcome to sign up for multiple meetings so head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash hangout and sign up for our next decoding obesity hangout meeting my friend don't forget to leave me a review on apple podcasts that's all we have time for today thank you so much for tuning in i'll see you all next time you've been listening to the decoding obesity podcast please remember the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever the thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. 
don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.